Hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. It's a sweltering day uh, here where I'm recording, um, at, unusually for this time of year over here. Um, so I've got the window open. So if you hear a bit of noise out of the window, um, it's not a racetrack, sadly. It's just what happens anytime the sun comes out in this particular part of the north part of the world. Um, I'm Stuart Garlic, and in a moment I'm going to talk to Andrea Perilli, um, who is the editor of Just Electric, about the Monaco E-Prix and other stuff as well. But just to say, leading into it, that uh, this podcast, as with all the others, is brought to you by the Motion E Patreon. So, um, although you can access plenty of uh, great reading and listening through the motione.org regular site, if you head over to, to, Motion, to Motion E on Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash motioneorg, then you can find um, other articles that go a bit deeper as well. Uh, and also podcasts before they're released um, on the web and plenty of other good stuff. Okay, uh, Andrea, lovely to have you on the podcast for the first time. And um, how is the weather in Uruguay? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. It's my pleasure to talk a bit about Formula E, we just had like a very exciting race last weekend, so I'm eager to talk about it. Um, right now, we're starting to have chilly days, you know, we're in the middle of autumn and uh, we're closely ap- approaching winter. So days are starting to get chillier and I have to put on coats even to be inside my house. Well, uh, that's, uh, I, I guess, um, what what happens at this time of year. But uh, yeah, it um, it's uh, always strange talking to someone from the Southern Hemisphere because that then then you remember that um, well you're basically having my November right now, aren't you? Yes, exactly. Um, but thankfully, we're getting a lot of sun, so you know I can go outside or at least I can sit by a window and get you know that that warm the autumn sun sort of has in this part of the world. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, uh, it's lovely to have you. And um, you've been running a website called Just Electric for a number of years now. So tell us about that and what we can find on there. Well, um, I founded uh, Just Electric with uh, Jack, uh, with a couple of friends. And um, back in 2017, um we sort of had this idea of having our own Formula E site and we decided that to give it like a a different twist to it because all the time like you know sites would cover like what happened on track and you know race reports uh, interviews to drivers and we wanted to give it to sort of a different twist and we started going since interviewing team managers, mechanics, PRs, or or interviews on things that you wouldn't normally see covered. Um, for example, one of our most successful features was um, on the helmet designs drivers had. So we founded Just Electric on the idea of covering um, the behind the um, uncovering the races, but also the behind the scenes stories, uh, the people who make uh, Formula E possible. And as a new electric series were launched, we decided that because we were just electric, uh, we also had to cover them. Um, so yeah, I, that's 
pretty much how uh, Just Electric was sort of conceived and, and carried out. And uh, yeah, um, you're in um, Uruguay, which obviously gives me a chance to um, ask a bit more about your first ever race, which was Punta del Este 2015. Um, t- tell us a bit about the atmosphere in Punta del Este, because uh, I- I've heard it is um, a smallish seaside town that becomes a massive seaside town during the summer. So during Formula E, it must have been a real hive of activity, I guess. Yeah, actually, my first ever Formula E race was Punta 2014, but I attended it on the public. Punta 2015 was my first race covering it as uh, media, uh, as an accredited journalist. But Punta 2014, like in the inaugural season of Formula E, was my first race, um, which I obviously uh, have like very dear memories, but it wasn't the same thing as covering it from within. So I'll talk about Punta 2015 because obviously it's it, it has a different meaning to me. Um, yes, to begin with, uh, Punta del Este is uh, your wife's main um, touristic destination. A lot of people call it like the South American Centrope. Um, it, and it's very luxurious, you know, we have a lot of international uh, stars coming from you know places like Brazil, Argentina, but also from the US and from Europe. So yeah, during the winter it's sort of a ghost town because it, like most of the buildings are closed and um, just the people who live there are around. But during the summer it's something else. Like you have to. I mean, I always say to people that if they ever come to Uruguay, they should visit Punta because it's a lovely place, you know, Oceanside, um, it's a peninsula as well, so you have the sea everywhere you look at, and obviously being in the middle of, of celeb- like, being surrounded by celebrities, and having all the, the paparazzis and media stories going on, it's like something you would see on the films or on a, on TV series, but you just are in the middle of it. It's actually a, a very cool place. But to talk about the race, yes, Punta 2015, I think it sort of uh, showed what the what season two was going to be about, because Boemi won the race, but there were like very hard duels on, on track. And it was a track that was very tight, so, so the racing in there was always intense, and there are also lots of you know incidents like crashes or drivers or drivers hitting walls. I I think Punta is a track that should come back, not just because I am from Uruguay, but also because I know lots of people um, who love the track, you know, being seaside, but also the action it had. So um, definitely. Uh, it was like a very important race and sometimes it just gets lost in the middle of you know having races in stunning places like monaco rome paris um for example morocco is one of my favorite tracks and it's sort of fi- a fixed destination in the in the championship even though this isn't it's, it's not part of it but sort of i i, I want i like people uh like relieving Punta's memories yeah of course um the thing is that um, 
it, it, it isn't on the calendar anymore. And I, I think there are many people who feel nostalgic about uh, about that race. Um, no. OK, so, yeah, hopefully we return to Punter at some point in the future with Formula E um, or if not, you know, maybe maybe Extreme E can go to that part of South America in the future. Who knows? Um, what, what are your thoughts on Extreme E? Obviously, Just Electric covers all the electric formulae. Um, and there were a lot of question marks over Extreme E, I felt, when it launched. Um, uh, or rather, when it had its first race. Uh, it, it felt like something that needed time to grow and time to improve, very much like Formula E did, of course. But what were your feelings on it? I think it has a new, like, electric, Extreme E represents the basality electric racing has. Because we're talking about racing in environments, you would normally see, like, traditional rallying cars racing around. Sorry, a bit. Uh, my phone is ringing. Um, no worries. Yeah, this call. Yeah. Sorry. I hate it when they have this sort of um people selling you stuff on the phone <laughs> um they they've stopped trying to sell me stuff <laughs> that's good <laughs> we we still have lots of insurance uh offers and that kind of stuff it's constant oh so back at what i was saying um i think extremely has shown the basality electric racing has uh, we're not racing on tracks, whether street track, whether we're talking about street tracks or, or circuits um, design as such. We're talking about racing in raw environments, and um, I think it ha it fulfilled its first task on the very first race. Um, there are very uh, attractive names um, on teams like team owners. We've got Hamilton, we've got Nick Rosberg. But also we've got um, fantastic drivers on the lineups. Uh, I mean, we have Carlos Science seniors, so I mean that they are taking up, taking part in this in this challenge means a lot. Means uh, that uh, electric racing, no matter in which format, is not the future but the present. It is actually the present. So. I think it um, it fulfilled its first task, which was to have a, a an exciting debut. Obviously, it's a format that people are not really used to in some sort of way, but um, you people have to be up for innovation uh, in in racing, and innovation in race formats um, is part of what Extreme E has. Apart from this, I'd like to mention that. Um, the person who designed the the trophies is from a country. He's called Mariano Pineirua. Oh wow! And I was very glad because I know him in person. He he's a very cool person and very talented person. So I was very glad to find out that the trophies, which went through a a competition, were finally designed by him and his company. So this is a shout out to him too, if you let me do this. Yes, absolutely. I, I love those trophy designs. Uh, I, I appreciate the way that uh, they, they've they tried to take an aesthetic from each of the countries that they visit uh, or e each of the landscapes they visit. And um, I, I, I just think that um, 
they they are they they are some of those items where uh you see a flat picture of them and you wish you could touch it so that you could see how the texture feels it, it it's it's a little bit like like looking at um and well it, it isn't like it but it's the same feeling i get when i'm watching an iphone unboxing on um, on youtube or something do you know what i mean yeah yeah i understand what you mean hmm so uh, I I'd, I'd love to uh, see one of those trophies um, in in real life at some point in the future. But yeah, um, great great trophies anyway, and uh, extremely certainly a great a great idea. And I think that they made some real positive progress with the Desert Epre. The the only question mark that I had was that you know particularly as part of what i do um or part of what i have fun with doing is live blogging from uh races or about races um finding that many of the practice sessions that that were being shown as part of the televised package had happened 2 hours prior it just kind of didn't feel real at that point it it, it felt almost like um, doing a live commentary on a movie or on a particularly expensive episode of Gladiators or something. So um, I, I would like to see live practice sessions um, all the way through in the future, or, although I am mindful of the logistical difficulties of that. Yes, but I think if, if you know, the public sort of has this, this need or, or, or actually want to see this, I don't think... Uh, the organizers will not listen to them. They would actually, I, I, I'm hopeful because um, people who organize what formula, both Formula E and Extremely are quite open to to what people have to say about them. And I think if, if people, you know, show them that they are very interested in this new format of electric racing, um, sooner than later, they would actually um, make this possible because obviously um, covering these sessions um, helps to build up the the stories that make a race day or a race weekend. So I am hopeful that um, with people's interest in covering the whole story, they will actually make it possible for for those sessions to be covered live. Well, it'd be great if it could happen anyway. Um, so, shall we talk about the Monaco E-Prix? Uh, good race, wasn't it? Yes, I think it was like the most eventful Formula E race in Monaco we've had in the series history. Yes, not all of the races in Monaco, as you say, have been classics. And it gained a bit of a reputation as the circuit that was on the calendar that maybe was a little bit unloved that that was that was there for reasons of uh, boosting the boosting the category's profile rather than because it presented a good spectacle um and this time they really improved on things and uh, would you say the main reason for that was because formula e decided to push for the rights to use the full grand prix loop which they got i think that that's one of the factors that had a a good incidence on the racing being improved in Monaco. I think that left the space for, for you know, corners that we all used to see, like the hairpin and and the tunnel. I mean, they're iconic um, parts of the circuit. Maybe they don't bring, like, the whole action you would expect on a race, like, elsewhere, but they're iconic and they contribute to, you know, um, eye racing scenes or overtakes. In different parts so i think that was um 
something like, you know, that contributed for the race to be very exciting in a type that sometimes you would see like lights to flag winds and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I think like allowing the, the full circuit to be used uh, had a, a great incidence on how the on how the race went went like. Yeah, and um, another reason that it gained a lot of positive feedback on social media uh, was because it showed the Monaco track could accommodate overtaking. And uh, w- one of the cleverer lines that came out uh, from somebody, I-, I would attribute it if I could remember who it was, was that, uh, oh, it-, it was on Hazel Southwell's Twitter. She was quoting somebody else. Uh, she said... Um, that uh, finally Monaco has found the category that works on the track. And um, I, I like that description because to, to me, the Monaco circuit is not as much of a dud as Formula One makes it look. If, if you're going to race uh, big, hulking, SUV-sized uh, single-seaters around, around the Monaco circuit, of course it's going to look too narrow and, like Nelson Piquet famously said, like riding a bicycle in your living room. But... Um, with Formula E, of course, the cars are smaller, they're more nimble, and um, they're slightly slower as well. And that means that um, people are more willing to take risks, and they're less likely to result in a crash when they do. And um, it just felt like, uh, uh, unlike most Monaco Formula One races, the only drama was not crashes. It was also proper overtaking manoeuvres being done into, for example, the Nouvelle Chicane. Definitely. I think, uh, I mean, you would expect at a normal Formula 1 race uh, in the first corner at Sandevot to see crashes. Like, we've had, uh, when when all the cars turn, you always expect crashes to happen. We did have a clean start, even though we had uh, some crashes on the hairpin. But as you said, this race showed that Monaco can provide exciting racing with major overtakes, um, apart from the winning overtake that I, I, I guess we're going to talk about later, um, Mitch passed uh, both Heinz and De Costa uh, for the lead at some point of the race. I don't recall the, the, the minute exactly. And I think that was like enough proof that Formula E and the Monaco circuit can both provide exciting racing, exciting overtakes and despite the criticism that formerly is always exposed to because you know especially in social media that people are quite conservative on uh you know classical types of racing hmm. formerly has never stopped showing that it can actually race and this was another clear proof that it can also race in a circuit that people always criticize because of the lack of excitement the racing has yeah, um, totally agree with what uh, with what you just said. And um, Mitch Evans had uh, had a fantastic race. He did seem disappointed uh, that he didn't quite have the power to be able to um, push for the lead on the final lap, but uh, he he did superbly, and I think showed that Jaguar still have the pace to challenge for wins, and that that they're uh, one of the. Uh, well, shall we say one one of the three front-running teams, along with DS Tachita and Mercedes. Um, um, I also talked to um, 
my previous guest, uh, Hannah Pruduk, on the podcast about this, and she was of the view that Jaguar can challenge for the title. Um, they obviously have always been in the conversation over the last two seasons, thanks to Mitch Evans, but it does look like something that could be more of a realistic challenge this season, does it not? Yes, exactly. I think uh, Jaguar have been consistent. Whether they're not winning, they're always on the podium or nearby the, the, the top three. I think this is something that Jaguar had in previous seasons, but it wasn't consistent. And now it is. Um, also, Jaguar, it's, it's nice to see how they entered in season three and they have developed uh, over time. I think Jaguar's development is something that you can appreciate quite clearly rather than in other teams. And I think now they have reached the point where they can actually, you know, it's likely to see them uh, at the like last couple of races. You will see them on the fight. Is I mean, by the way they are progressing and the way they're having consistency on, on winning or being on the podium, um, I'm pretty sure Jaguar will be, when, when we go to Berlin, they will be there on the fight. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not saying it will 100% happen, but I'm pretty sure they will. And as I said, Jaguar is probably the only team that you can see is development from being at the bottom of the standings in their initial season to now being up in the fight for the title, both in the drivers and team championship. But I think the Cheetah and Jaguar will be uh, the both teams that will challenge for that title. Um, you know, we, we've got a Diaz Virgin driver uh, leading the championship. If I'm not wrong, France is up there, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, you're um, right. But of course, they haven't had the consistency with both drivers, as obviously Cassidy hasn't uh, had the, the results France has. Obviously, he's a rookie, and France has been racing in Formula E um, since uh, season two, even though he did not race in some in season four. But as I said, both the Cheetah and Jaguar have both their drivers um, up in the fight, and I think the the ultimate battle for the for the title in both championships will be between them. Uh, they've been consistent. They've always had this sort of hunger for the win. Um, you know, obviously in the Cheetahs, the Cheetahs, it's been sort of more clear with with Jeff always, you know, coming from behind to get um, important results. But yeah, I I, I can't say that we can expect to see the Cheetah and Jaguar um, up there in the fight when we go to Berlin. Yes, and uh, as you mentioned, Robin Freins in the Envision Virgin racing uh, car leads uh, the championship on 62 points. Um, But only five points behind still is Nick de Vries, uh, even though he didn't have the kind of Monaco E-Prix that any uh, driver would have liked. Uh, And Mitch Evans is just behind uh, de Vries on 54. So really close title race as usual. Um, Da Costa... um, Obviously, following his Monaco win, catches up on them all with 52 uh, in, in fourth. And um, Diaz to Cheetah do tend to have the late run for the title. Uh, they've they've um, 
always uh, sort of been there or thereabouts uh, for the first few races and then they um, win the development war and uh, they they advance to the front in the latter races. Um, it, it's beginning to seem like a practiced strategy actually, uh, particularly with having gone to Dirio with the old powertrains to develop the new one to be as consistent and um, as drivable as possible. Um, would you say that uh, DS to Cheetah, regardless of who the opposition is, are the masters of timing their run as far as Formula E title races go? Yes, I think so. I think I like to see it as they, as you said, they sort of come from behind. Uh, they might not have the best results in the first uh, stages of, of the championship, but they always come stronger and they sort of become... Uh, like sort of fixed rivals each every driver and team will have um i think their strategy as you said it's working um they have a lineup that's very strong you know they they have three championships uh two for for jeff and one for for antonio so i mean it's not a surprise that they're gonna be on the fight because they know how to win and and they know um when they're not winning they know how to still be on the fight um i think a clear example of this was antonio's consistency last race in last weekend in monaco um even though he started from pole he lost his position to france um like sort of five minutes into the race or so but he still managed to be there he still managed to be um to be maybe in second place, maybe in third place, fourth if he went for his attack mode. But he still was there, and when he saw his chance in the last minute, in the last lap, he went and passed Mage. And this and this shows the consistency he has learned to have. His team has learned to have. Um, they know when to attack and when to go for the win or for that important point they're looking for and we've seen this with Antonio and we've seen this with Jeff as well I remember that Jeff um there was a safety car when Rainy Russ stopped and Jeff had not gone for his uh second attack mode and he went for it as soon as green flags were back and that showed a major strategy like you know even though all teams have obviously experts on strategy I I think that the cheetah strategy also uh, speaks for the experience and the winning experience they, they have. So obviously they're always up for the fight and you should uh, take them into account when listing which drivers and teams you, you will see on the on the championships fights. Uh, yes, and um, Jaguar almost seemed to be benefiting from the thing which many people thought that uh, would be to their detriment, which is um, really ever since they began uh, through accident or design, they've always um, had to focus on Mitch Evans, really. Uh, to begin with, they had um, Adam Carroll, who um, perfectly good and um, competitive driver in all series he's been in. But um, Mitch uh, got the better out of a very difficult car in that first season. Then they signed Nelson Piquet Jr. And that was supposed to be a step up. It was supposed to take them to uh, having uh, two cars contending at all times. And um, didn't quite work out with Piquet. 
they swapped him for Alex Lynn mid-season, um, who was incredibly good. And um, as is usual with Alex Lynn, sadly, in Formula E, he had a lot of reliability issues. Uh, that's that's half season. Uh, got dropped for James Collado. Then we saw uh, Sam Bird coming in this season. And... A lot of people said, well, Jaguar isn't used to running two cars uh, high up the field and isn't used to um, having to really focus on uh, two highly competitive drivers and two drivers arguably with, um, and I'm using this word in a positive sense, the ego to know that they deserve to be running at the front. And... So far, at least, it's working out. There have been no major fights that have got into the press about Bird and Evans, and they seem to be getting along really well. And also, they're helping to develop that car into quite a mean package, aren't they, between them? Yes, definitely. I think it was actually a good choice to bring Samba to the team, because Sam is a driver who knows how to win, who has won, even though he has never won a, cha- won a championship. He knows how to win. He's... I think he's the only driver to have a win in each season. I'm I'm not sure. Like last season, we had that that he um, sort of got uh, cut because of the COVID crisis, and I sort of get mi- mixed with season five. But um, obviously, they brought a driver with a vast experience in Formula E, and they're combining it with Mitch, who has acquired a lot of experience as well. So I think the 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 word I I would uh, use to define this team is experience, and they have known how to use this experience. Um, they're taking it to a maximum. They both, have, as you said, they have two competitive cars, and this is something that had never happened to Jaguar. But they're they're on the right path on how to use this experience. They're making the best out of it, and I think it's working well. As I said. Uh, Jaguar is my team to contest the the driver the team's championship and obviously as you said there might be egos of drivers uh, of two um, experienced um, drivers uh, that might interfere but I think Jaguar has as you said no drama has come out to the press and at the same time I think both drivers know how to complement each other into this. And and I think that is has been key for Jaguar's success this season. Yes. Um a word for uh, De Costa as well, because uh, we we mentioned that uh, Diaz de Cheetah um, are strategically the best at uh, um running this like a marathon, not a sprint and racing for the championship, but De Costa having actually won the thing last season, um, obviously we can't discount Jean-Éric Verne, but uh, De Costa is doing a lot better in the points right now. Uh, De Costa just seems to be exuding the kind of confidence that says that he expects to win every time. And I, I think that makes a big difference. Uh, last season, he was fighting to uh, he was fighting within his team at times to um, to if you like, um, show them that he felt he, he he should get the status he felt he deserved. And he's definitely got that this season. And um, coming on to the race, he obviously um, passed uh, Evans uh, in the closing stages of the race for the lead. Um, 
It was the kind of pass that you could see another driver maybe with less self-assuredness not going for because, you know, there's a need to bring the car home and score points. But Da Costa did and he reaped the benefits. Um, how much better do you think Da Costa is now he's got his title? Well, obviously, uh, you talked about self-assurance and I think his title has given him that or at least it has exposed but exposing it in good in the good uh, sense, if you get what I mean, it has made it uh, clear that he's a driver with lots of self confidence, and he obviously did, needed a boost to make it like you know something that you would actually see. And I think the championship is what gave him that. But a couple of minutes ago, I talked about a uh, Jaguar's development and how you could uh, see that uh, with their. Uh, with their like first seasons and where they are now. And I think that Costa is a driver that you have also, people were able to see his evolution. He won a race in season one, but obviously it was a race that had lots of events going on and he sort of won it. Um, I don't want to say out of luck, but obviously he was at the right place at the right time to win it. And he had lots of negative results in the first seasons of Formula E. And I think, Seeing the kind of driver the Costa is right now, I think he's a driver who has a, a who masters at re uh, resilience and a driver that has learned to from his own mistakes and his own negative results. And he has maximized this now that he has a, a, a competitive car, a car that he knows. Uh, is able to give him, uh, to put him in winning positions. I think he has a vast experience on that and he makes use of that, takes advantage of that. And obviously knowing that, I mean, I say obviously, but I, this is something I, I, I believe, that having been through so much in Formula E sort of, sort of gives you this self-assurance that, of course, you know you can do it because you've been through so much in Formula E that you can put all your experience and you know that when you have the right part to do what you can do, like the, the overtake you had with Mitch, you can do it. Like you now have the chance to do so. You have the right car, you are at the right place to do it. So why not uh, tell like not doing it? I don't know if you get what I mean. I do. And um, I, I feel so happy to see Antonio at the front as well, because um, he must be so glad to have finally made it to the top of the ladder in terms of the kinds of cars that he's um, being given the chance to drive. Um, he, he's definitely driven Formula E through the years in the way that you'd expect to drive career mode in a game, in, in that uh, the, car, the cars have, well... Um, Actually, yeah, the, the cars began decent uh, and then uh, got a bit worse and then got slightly better. And now he's in one of the top cars. Makes a big difference, doesn't it? Pe people people think because Formula E is a spec chassis that uh, the, um, the powertrain doesn't mo make much difference. But it certainly does when it comes to drivability, doesn't it? Definitely. Um, but as I said... I'm not someone who's like a major fan on the technical side of things, but more on the performance of what happens on track sort of thing. And I have been, been following Formula E since the, since the very beginning and having, uh, you know, read and 
and knowing all the criticism it has um it has been given i think uh drivers like the costa show that there is a reason why they decided formula e was their place they had they believed in the formula e project they believed that it was going to to give the fans uh your racing attractive racing nail biting racing and obviously um the case of Antonio is a case that shows why the series uh, hasn't lost its competitiveness. Sorry if I can't pronounce it right. No worries. Um, I think it shows... Formula E is probably one of the very few series that hasn't had a season that wasn't attractive. Like, you would always have nail-biting races, more or less, depending on the, on the, on the event. But you... It's not a race that, it's not a championship that you know who's going to, to take the title in the first race because it's always constantly changing it. Take a look at season three, I think. We all thought Wemi was going to win and then Grassi takes the title. And I think that is something that Formula E, like characteristic that Formula E has unlocked. So uh, the calendar as it stands now, obviously if there are no mystery COVID variants um, coming out and surprising us between then and now, uh, has um, Puebla in Mexico uh, for a double header next time around, uh, June the 19th and 20th. We'll talk about that in a second. They then go on July 10th and 11th to New York and then to London on July 24th and 25th and then they finish off in Berlin in August. So it's a bit more of a Formula E style calendar from now on, a bit more spaces between the races um, and a um, bit, bit more time to reflect on other stuff on this podcast as well and uh, through through the website. Um, I, I don't know how Formula One websites do it, by the way. I've, I found it exhausting covering three races in five weeks. I, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but... Uh, Puebla, uh, with that double header on another quote-unquote proper circuit. I think it's quite, uh, because it's a circuit that we have never had racing on, it's quite unclear to see what will happen. Obviously, it will uh, have new challenges for the drivers, and there is no expert on this track, as you would see in all the circuits, even though in Formula E it doesn't really happen as it happens in Formula 1, for instance. But obviously, we'll have lots of challenges, uh, including technical ones for the drivers. We're, and we're talking about a, a venue that was introduced, uh, I won't say half through the halfway through the championship, but it wasn't on the original uh, on the orig original championship proposal. Mm. So um, obviously, we'll have lots of challenges, and I cannot really say who is going to win. Um, maybe we're up for a big surprise. I don't know. Maybe we will continue to see this Vegeta versus Jaguar plus Robin fight. But as I said, it's quite unclear. I'm so up for new circuits coming in because that adds that um, that extra surprise that Formula E has us used to with the introduction of new circuits, and it will sort of 
make this that you said we're having more spaces between races so things can change and i say it because uh maybe some teams come stronger to mexico or later to new york city or to london and that can change the results so as i said i am very looking forward to puebla because it's going to add that extra surprise that formula has um as far as the other races go, uh, any in particular you're looking forward to? Well, as I said, I'm very looking forward to the introduction of Puebla to the championship, even though I think it's just for this season because the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in, in Mexico City is being used as a COVID hospital, if I'm not wrong. Hmm. Um, I'm also eager to see London, to finally see a racing London again after yeah. almost six or five or six years um it's like bad luck has encountered this race so many times covid <laughs> uh, organizations i i hope that the jinx is finally out um but i think berlin has become a favorite of mine because of the track location because um the the important races we have had there and how Winning in Berlin or winning and getting disqualified uh, has shown in Formula E history that it can change uh, the course of a championship. I remember in season three that when we got disqualified and that sort of uh, paved the way for Degrassi to win the championship hmm. that season. And obviously Berlin is a favorite of mine, but since I like like surprises in Formula E, I, I am more I'm more expecting on on Puebla in London and as I said I hope bad luck finally leaves the London Prix. Well, Formula E deserves a bit of good luck right now and uh, it certainly got in Monaco. Um thank you Andrea for doing the podcast with me this time. I'd love to have you on again at some point. Um go and read Just Electric. Um how can we find how can we find your writing? How can we find you on social media? Um, well, of course, Just Electric, you can find it on Twitter, you, um, and you can just um, dash electric.org is the website. And I'm on social media, I tweet both in Spanish and English, so don't get alert, alarmed if you don't understand what I, I post. I normally write in English during race weekends. Um, I, on Twitter, you can find me as an, A-N, Perilli, P-E, R-I-L-L-I because of course I have an Italian surname and it sounds quite strange especially in motorsports because it can be mistaking us Pirelli as Stuart and me were talking earlier but yeah thank you very much Stuart for having me uh, it's my pleasure and sorry about my English I get so excited sometimes I forgot the, the rules of grammar and that kind of stuff but I had a great time discussing Formula E with other people. It's something I would love to see happening back on track, back in the in the tracks and social media and um, media centers when the whole COVID nightmare passes. Of course, and um, thank you everyone for listening to the Motion E podcast. Uh, thanks to there not being another race, as I say, for another few weeks. We've got a chance to kick loose and have a bit of fun with this motorsport podcast format. So 
You'll be hearing some different kinds of programmes in the next few weeks. Uh, hopefully you'll look forward to and enjoy that. Uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for listening and thank you to Andrea for being on. Um, and until next time, all the best. <laughs>